Oh, and <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for March 8, 2013. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. Let me go around the table and introduce the guys. We've got Chuck Monster, the editor-in-chief at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Not much. <laughs> Great. Um, I've, I, uh, we've, we've got some fun topics today, so I'm sort it's... of I'm – always, I'm always fighting my urge to talk way too fast. So um, Chuck's making fun of me. Uh, we have, of course, Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hi there. Uh, my name's Hunter Hilligus, and I run RateVegas.com. Uh, before we get into it, uh, I think start off with a reminder about the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic, also known as VIMPF, which, yes, is going to be October 19th. Um, still many months away, but we're giving you a lot of notice so that you can make your plans. Um, on our side, we're working hard to get things set up so that we can be able to announce a venue. We're not ready to do that yet, but um, we're uh, last year was such a blast. I'm sure it's going to be another great time. We definitely encourage you to consider making the trek. So yeah. um, mark off the 19th of October on your calendar. If you want to go and um, get more information, there's not a lot yet, but as it's announced over at VegasInternetMafia.com, uh, that's where all the good stuff is going to be. And we will, of course, announce uh, details as they uh, occur on this podcast as well. So, and, and did I miss anything? Nope. Got it all. All right. Vimpf. Yes. Um, all right. So, of course, our lead story today is that Pinnacle has sold their land in Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's it. Uh, that's all that's happened? I guess so. No, of course, um, that's burying the lead quite a bit. Uh, in the last week, we did have a pretty epic mega announcement that has the potential to reshape the Las Vegas Strip. And that may sound like hyperbole, but I, you know, I, I think if it is, it's only a little bit. Um, we had the announcement that uh, Boyd Gaming, the um, developers of the Echelon Project, which was the casino hotel that was originally slated to replace what was the Stardust on the Strip, which is uh, just north of Encore, the other side of the street, um, that they had sold that project. They had stopped construction in 2008 when the economy soured and it had been abandoned for quite some time. They have since now announced that they've sold the land and the partially completed buildings to Genting, a um, <clears throat> company that is well known in Southeast Asia and does have some facilities in the United States and we'll talk in far more detail about them in a moment, um, that they have sold the property to them for $350 million, which actually, I want to talk about how it impacts Boyd, but that's a $900 million write-down, which is not a, not a, a good one um, for them. But uh, uh, <clears throat> Genting is saying that they're going to develop what they are currently calling Resorts World Las Vegas. That's a brand they've used in a bunch of other cities, which will um, probably open sometime in the 2016 range, a, a $2 billion and change development multi-phase. We're going to talk about all the details, but a massive new casino hotel complex 
on the Las Vegas Strip to replace what was the Stardust. I think it's like an 87-acre plot, so it's big. Um, and this is a huge announcement, right? We've had the news of what SBE is doing at the Sahara with their SLS hotel, which is, uh, you know, a redevelopment project mostly, and, and will probably look pretty different from the original Sahara, but the bones will be the same. This is different. This is a Mirage Bellagio wind scale resort, um, new resort coming to the Las Vegas Strip, which uh, I think if you'd asked us, when we recorded our last show, when is the next major casino resort going to be built? <laughs> I, I probably would have said like 2020 was a safe bet. Um, yeah. So to have this news drop, uh, I think surprised a lot of people. Um, but I think also based on you know the reading of the interwebs that I've done and the checking of the social medias, people are pretty excited. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack here. So I, I definitely don't want to make this a hunter monologue. Um, but I want to go into a lot of the details. I guess first off, uh, what I want to do is, Chuck, I'm gonna, you, you wrote a great piece on Vegas shipping. I want to go to you to fill in some of the, the details about what they're planning to do, what they're basically the broad strokes of what they're planning to build. And then after you've done that, Dave, I'm hoping you can give us some insight into the company and their history since I know you've written about that a lot in the past. So, sure. Chuck, tell us more about what they're building. What, what is the story with this place? Okay, Resorts World Las Vegas is uh, – we'll start with the name. Uh, they've used Re Resorts World as the umbrella name for their uh, casino properties throughout the world. Uh, there's the Resorts World Santosa, which is the one in Singapore. There's the Resorts World in New York City, which I had visited over the summer. And this is their next thing. Uh, they've taken the Echelon plot and uh, they're using the, the bones of it, but they're kind of putting another layer on the cake and they're changing some of the footprints of a few of the things that had not been uh, outlined yet by Boyd before they pulled the plug. Um, you can kind of divide the thing into three or four different parts. Uh, there's a main casino podium. On the north side, there are the two curved towers, which uh, already are partially built. Um, on the south, there are three uh, curved towers. Uh, all of them, all of these towers have their own uh, porticochere entries. Uh, on the west side, there appears to be a convention center with two identical towers on either side of it. They're quite tall. Uh, in the plot right in the middle, uh, there is going to be a water park under this shell-looking thing. Uh, there's a bunch of pools around it too. It looks like they've re they've they've put another layer on top of where it was going to be before. They're building on top of that roof, and the casino is going to be multiple layers below it. The filigree surrounding the outside of the resort here are a, a grouping of um, Asianate pagodas. Uh, there's bits of uh, Thai kind of architecture, Chinese stuff, Japanese things, and it's all surrounded by reflecting pools and water and fountains and, and things like that. Uh, the, the, the thing that I found interesting when I was looking at this is how uh, they've repurposed what's already been built and themed it in this kind of 
cuckoo Asian sort of way. Uh, this isn't the Imperial Palace. This is like the modern outer space version of the Imperial Palace with, with some out, outlying buildings around the outside. This is before um, the Empire went bankrupt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is. So – the, the original plot of the Echelon project was sort of asymmetrical. It had, it had a balance to it, but, but it was kind of like this, this semicircle sort of thing with, with, with a shopping complex sticking out towards Encore. They've ixnayed the shopping complex, and they've sort of forced this symmetrical feel onto the property from from the from the middle where the uh, uh there there are like three fountains uh, right on the strip that sort of bisect the middle of the semicircle and they've overlaid this this symmetrical uh asian theme on top of the asymmetrical boyd echelon modernist thing somehow the the building strangely it looks like this mashup of imperial palace uh it it's the colors of the of the of the curtain wall is is basically stolen from win and i'm sure steve is going to be happy about that uh but the amalgam of buildings particularly the two giant ones in the back and the way it sort of looks it has this this really dense urban kind of feel uh, that gets the city center thing going on there too. So it's this, it's this big kind of smash of all of these bits and pieces of recent and vintage, you know, Hey, it's great that we have a, uh, you know, a Chinese themed resort now that now the Imperial palace is gone, but uh, this is, it's kind of gaudy. It's over the top. It's ugly in a lot of ways. It's really ugly, but I, I kind of like it because of that. You know, the thing that I was loved about Vegas back in the past was a, Go and you'd be you'd marvel at these amazing buildings, but God, Excalibur is like the most butt ugly, stupid looking thing you've ever seen in your life. But but it sure does excite the the, the feeling in you that you want to go and sort of experience it and enjoy it. So uh, it, it has this disgusting quality, this gross quality to it, but it also has a, a great uh, the craftsmanship. Is is pretty uh, fascinating with how they're going to repurpose this building. I'm I'm really curious to hear what uh, what Steve Wynn has to say about about the colors of the building. He's not <laughs> going to be happy. I I am super excited about this project, and I agree that some parts of it are kind of ugly, but it just looks fun. It looks fun to me. Where City Center is very sterile. Yeah. And um, maybe you know, as Paul Steelman, who's the architect on this project said in his interview with John Ralston the other day, you know, in Las Vegas, the, some of these more recent buildings, you needed an architect to explain to you why they were great. And yes. for the average person that's coming to Las Vegas, you know, some of that may seep, some of that greatness may seep into an overall feeling about the place. But this is just the bowl you over, crazy return to the theme kind of idea um, that is just designed to be utter fun spectacle. And it seems like they've really embraced that concept and gone back to something that, you know, hasn't been in vogue for a while on the strip. Yeah. Um, and it just, 
I find it really exciting. Now that water park, I think, is an interesting idea. Seven and a half acres. That's like about the size of the lake at Bellagio. So you know, if you've ever wanted to go swimming in the lake at Bellagio, you'll now have that opportunity. <laughs> um, and I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of going back to themes, and also about the fact that it's going to be sort of family oriented. But before we do that, I want to know more about the company because you know this is not a company that has a large North American footprint, right? They do have the New York operation, but that hasn't been there that long. Um, and they really are famous for their Southeast Asian roots. So, Dave, you've written about them in your book, right? I mean, what's yes. the story? What's the story with this company? Sure. Um, the company starts out with Lim Go Tong, who began building a resort at Genting called Genting Highlands. That's about, I believe, about fifty miles away from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, back in the '60s, and he was able to secure the sole concession for gambling in all of Malaysia for this resort. And originally it was very humble, but it's become this huge, really kind of miniature Las Vegas strip, um, you know, 8,000 feet above sea level or however high above sea level it is. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting kind of self-contained development, which is something that Paul Steelman hit on in his interview with uh, John Ralston that he talks about often is kind of the suburban nature of the casino resort, which I had talked about back when I wrote Suburban Xanadu. So it's a, so they've, they've really started out building the kind of place where you drive there and you stay there and you don't really leave. So they developed the idea of everything being there and kind of something for everybody. What people in the industry now call tandem activities, meaning, you know, mom goes shopping, kids go to the water park, dad plays Baccarat for $20,000 a hand. So that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and you can tell that you're becoming a gaming executive if you start using words like tandem activities instead of just saying stuff for every, everybody to do. <laughs> so they've then – so their next really big move, in addition, they're also – I mean, this is a huge industrial conglomerate. If you want to go back to the days in the 80s and 90s when companies like ITT bought Caesars World – and you had right. these huge multinationals buying into gaming companies and, you know, then later spinning them off. Um, really, it's kind of – it goes like that. They've got interests in uh, – I believe they own 100% of Star Cruises, 50% of Norwegian cruise lines. They still own, like, sugar plantations in Malaysia. It's just a huge, vast company with, with you know, all kinds of interests. And one of the things they do very well is – resorts and hospitality. So in addition to the cruise lines, when it came time to award the casino concessions in Singapore, they submitted and got the, the tender for Sentosa, which is the more resort uh, version, I guess the more resort plot. It's kind of a, a tourist area. And mm -hmm. they built there in partnership with Universal Studios a comprehensive resort destination, you know, as opposed to the... Um, Marina Bay Sands, which is more convention-oriented. So they've really, although obviously they both appeal to a lot of people. So they've really had a lot of experience doing that. They've been a player in Florida. They've been lobbying very hard in Florida to try to get casinos approved there. They're in some stage of development on a resort in South Florida that if they did approve gambling would become a, you know, a casino resort. So I guess that would be Resorts World, Miami Resorts World, Florida, whatever they want to call that. And they also got the Aqueduct Casino. So they've really, which is not, which is not a resort 
in any sense, but I think that was just <laughs> them getting their foot in the door in the U.S. market. So they've really excelled at doing the kind of thing they're doing here, and it's the kind of thing that Las Vegas has gotten away from. You know, it's everything that people thought Vegas was going to be in the 90s, as Chuck has said, as other people have said, you know, is what this is going to be. And the reason why it is isn't because they're stuck in the past and, you know, they're still listening to their Pearl Jam or whatever, <laughs> uh, which is what I think of when I think of the nineties. But it's more, Even you know, like so. the MC Hammer pants. Um, although that would be a good visual for the next board of directors <laughs> meeting. But you know, because this is working for them right now in twenty thirteen, they're making uh, you know over two and a half billion dollars in Singapore with this model. I'm pretty sure Jim Murren listens to Pearl Jam. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I could see that. So yeah, you know, it's not. For Vegas, it's nostalgia, but in other parts of the world, it's what's working right now. And it's not really that dumb or that big of a stretch to say, well, hey, if we're doing this great in Singapore, you know, even though it is such a constricted market, we should be able to at least break even in Vegas. And then the marketing potential and what it can do for our brand is going to make it a winner, you know, the intangibles. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty good idea. So I'm wondering, not knowing that much about the company, you know, if you say if, – if you do sort of free association out there when you try and ascribe certain operational values to casino companies, maybe you say win and you'd say luxury or excellence. And Las Vegas Sands, maybe you'd say convention or angry owner. Um, <laughs> but w when it comes to these guys – you know what? What's their mo? Is the are do they build really nice resorts? Do they build mid end resorts? Are they grind joints? What's the general sense for the kind of place this should be based on what they have done in the past? I think they build very nice resorts, and if if you want to look at it, the tender process in Singapore was extremely grueling, so much so that Steve Wynn dropped out, and that's one of the things that he said he said that he regrets. You know, if you want to look at it from the point of view of the Singapore tender authority, which, which accepted the bids and which voted on them, they pretty much voted that Resorts World was one of the top two operators in the world, ahead of other people, including many other U.S. companies who had submitted bids. So it's, you know, that carries a lot of weight with me. And yes, you can say, well, they had a home court advantage because they're a Malaysian company and Singapore is right there. But they, they had... That was an extremely rigorous process. They were very methodical about it. They assigned weights to different areas and, you know, um, were very scientific about it. So the fact that they were able to win that, the fact that they were able to construct that resort, and the fact that it's been extremely successful says a lot to me. Um, regarding the the actual um, construction project here, I mean, they've there's been some talk about – when this is going to open, how much it's going to cost. But that's still – some of those figures seem like they're somewhat preliminary. Uh, I mean, you know, they have been working on this sort of in secret with the architect, Paul Steelman, who is awesome. Um, if you don't – as an aside, if you – he doesn't update it very often, but he has a blog on his website where he talks about all the mistakes his competitors make and all, all kinds of – kinds of awesome other uh, little musings. I would, if you like this kind of thing, I would recommend go reading his blog, even though it's sort of out of date now. Um, but they've been working on this with him sort of in secret for the past few months. Now that it's a public project, I assume that, you know, they'll be far more free to uh, get the ball really rolling and finalize some of these details that are more concept than, than, uh, than final at this point. Do we have a, a good sense of, I mean, it, it, my impression was that this is a phased project, but I haven't gotten a clear picture of 
what's in the first phase and what might be in later phases. I mean, I've seen some talk of residential component. Is that part of a second phase? Or do we have a good sense of how this is going to be broken down? I don't know. You know, it's it's I I still don't have a lot of the information. I'm actually working on an article for Vegas 7 that will be out in two weeks that sort of breaks down what Echelon would have been and what this is going to be. And I'm hoping in the process of writing that and talking to Paul, I'm going to learn a little bit more. So right now, I, I can't tell you, you know, I just have the same press releases that everybody else has and, and some of the same renderings, yeah. which are inter- interesting to me too, because it looks like you've got, I can't really tell whether that area that's to the right of the the street where the Portica share is for the main tower was the former Westward Ho plot or whether that's just part of the main Stardust plot and they're reserving the former Westward Ho plot for something else. But I don't know. Chuck, if you're looking at the rendering, maybe yeah, I you've think got that an idea. Is, I think that is a Westward Ho plot. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting. And it's, you know, it's also interesting the way the Portica share is kind of tucked off on the side there, very much like Encore, mm-hmm. uh, where it's on that side street. And I... I'm curious to see what the traffic flow is going to be between there and Convention Center Drive. Actually, Dave, I have to I have to correct that because okay. they, if I remember correctly, Boyd traded parcels with the McDonald's. Yeah, and they put the McDonald's where the Westward Ho was, and okay. then they took over the the contiguous spot right next to it, and some of that is the Westward Ho where the uh, where the back was. Okay. You, yeah, the, there's you can see the McDonald's is kind of in the corner in one of the renderings, but it's just a couple of white buildings. It's right by that pavilion in front of what looks like a theater over okay. there. So the theater in the back there would be where the uh, the old uh, the uh, the Motor Inn was. The okay, yeah. Motor Inn was. Huh. So, so I mean, you know, th- at this point, uh, we're, hopefully, we'll start seeing some um, construction activity, though it's course going to be a while before um, anything really gets started. I think they said they still have, what, six, seven months of real design-heavy work before they start doing any real digging um, or massive construction, I guess. Hopefully, uh, most of the foundation stuff for the high-rises, at least some of it, at least, is um, already in place. I want to talk about the the theme stuff, though, right? Because we've touched on this a little bit so far, but this is, you know, I thought themes were dead, right? This is the, of course, the one of the most common uh, back and forth that people are having on the topic of this place is that we went through this long period, you know, starting with Wynn and then really amped up with City Center and to some degree Cosmopolitan, where there really was no discernible theme uh, when these places were open. And this, of course, is heavily themed. So, you know, Chuck, what do you think about the idea of going back to a themed casino? I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but uh, is, is this the right move? I think it's a great move. Uh, what what what's missing in this resort is what shouldn't be there, and it's perfect that way. The whole thing with the non themes in these kinds of places is, is that their theme is kind of like exclusivity. You know, it's sort of like niche and 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 a, a luxury sort of group of things that are kind of unattainable. You know, it's like vanity is sort of the theme of, of those those three resorts that you mentioned. This, there's no velvet rope. This is for everybody. 
this doesn't prove who you are as as a person, your relative economic value, or or standing as a person. There's no nightclub, none of this stuff, you know. So I'm all for this. This is accessible, and the fact that it's themed, it adds a whole layer of uh, of mystery and 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 uh, an experience that you can can kind of that you can approach. In in a, in a concrete way, and th- th- this proves because when we had Gordon Absher on on the uh, VPP two, uh, we asked him what Ari was like, and he didn't even know that it's a non themed casino. He didn't really even answer that these kind of questions. He sort of deferred. Well, it's a casino, you know. It doesn't matter. He didn't. He didn't say. Well, you know, we we gotten away from. He didn't have the thought to sort of get away from the concrete idea that there is no theme. He didn't really get into that. And it's also interesting to note that this thing comes. This project gets announced within weeks after MGM has basically dethemed City Center by taking the City Center name away. So they've taken this whole thing. They built this city within the center, and now they've basically dethemed that, like they've dethemed everything else that they own. So it's kind of weird, man. But it would take an outside operator to have this kind of thought. I am all for the uh, the theme coming back, not for everything, but for this, great. Well, of course, you know the casino industry is just like Hollywood, right? So if something works, everybody else copies it. Um, so if if this is a huge hit. Then, as Dave, I think you've either wrote or said on Ralston's show, you know, we'll see a bunch of water parks, and we'll see, uh, we'll see the return of themes. Dave, what do you think about the, re- the return of a really heavily themed resort to the Strip? I like it. It gives people something interesting to look at. You know, I think that the death of themes is really overstated. A lot of people that I know, and not to make like some kind of great man of the people or something, but like sitting in airplanes and listening to people talk. A lot of them really liked the theme places and thought that, like, wow, there's this place with, you know, canals and a guy in a boat that paddles you around. I'm like, wow, I, that's the most awesome thing ever, you know. And a lot of people really like them. And I think there's got to be a reason for that because they want to escape. They want to do something different. Yeah. So I think it's good. And, you know, kind of like Chuck said, I think really the one thing that's happened in the Strip is there's been some stagnation. And most of the – there hasn't been a ton of innovation. Most of the new stuff has just been taking existing things and making it bigger. But you get somebody doing something very different and coming with a totally different business model. I think it shakes things up and I think ultimately ultimately, it's good for everybody. Did the casino architecture of the 2000s get too snobby in Las Vegas? I don't know if it's too snobby. I think it got too self-aware. Where, you know, especially with City Center, with hiring the star architects, they were consciously trying to build something that was going to be jaw-dropping, getting away from the whole point of Vegas. If you go back to Venturi and Scott Brown and Eisenhower and learning from Las Vegas, which was that the whole point of Las Vegas was was that it didn't have to be this jaw-dropping modernist architecture to be significant. The fact that it was this great vernacular art itself was significant. So I think it's funny that just as the rest of the world started to realize that, some people in Vegas said we need to get away from that and kind of the decorated shed idea that Venturi had, which I think is is what we need more of. You know, and that's the original Caesar's Palace was like, okay, hey, it's just a regular hotel, but we call the cocktail waitresses goddesses and you're going to come there because of that. So, yeah, it's that idea of fantasy and, and fun. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just I was went to Disneyland recently for the first time in a long time, and I was just reminded of how much fun it is. I mean, Disney, of course, does a really great job of keeping their properties immaculately maintained, and that's a part of it, right? I mean, part of the reason I don't love the Excalibur is it's kind of a shambles. It's not well taken care of, and so it's it a poorly poorly done theme that is not well maintained is probably worse than a you know not well maintained building of other sort maybe i mean it's just when the when the paint starts falling off it uh it breaks that illusion and it's no it's not fun anymore it just becomes cheesy and gross but um you know this uh this is so over the top that how can you not love it but if if i can jump in here for a second yeah. I'm, and then i promise i'm not going to do a filibuster or anything here but um <laughs> what you said about the about the paint falling off brings to mind something that a friend of mine who's a former operator and actually was a former property president told me that he visited one of the properties he'd been running and talked to some of the current leadership there and said, what you're doing is disgraceful. And he used the phrase eating the seed corn of basically you're cutting corners so much that you're ruining the name and you're ruining the reputation. This is going to come back and haunt you. So it's interesting that I know that we, you know, People have said that maybe we're a little bit too critical sometimes when somebody who's at that stage in their career and has actually run a property is saying pretty much the same thing. I I think you have to see that there's some merit to it. So that absolutely makes sense. You know, there's, there's two problems here. One problem is having the wrong vision for what Vegas should be. And the other problem is executing it wrong. And yeah, if you let your theme property fall to shambles, that's execution. Right. I've got something to uh, to to go with uh, the Disneyland thing. Imagine you go to the Indiana Jones ride, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Ride. You go inside. <laughs> you stand on you stand on the line. You go inside, and then finally it opens up, and it looks like an outer space airport. <laughs> okay, right. now that's Luxor, right? Right. It's You're just- expecting this pyramid with this this stuff, and they they. You know, they they spent 20 years or so building the mythology, if you right. will, of of that property, and they've done it with almost every property. They've they've basically gutted what made it great. Now that doesn't mean you need to keep the same old, you know, tomb. You can update the tomb. You can update this. You can update that. But what made Luxor awesome was like you felt like you were climbing into at least from my personality is like I felt like I was climbing into Iron Maiden's Power Slave album <laughs> and 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 walking around inside of the jacket cover pictures and stuff. I'm like, this is awesome. I loved it. But right. now, why bother, man? You can't tell the difference between the inside of that and city center. No, it's actually a really good point, right? It's part a big part of any execution of really anything, not just casinos, but any sort of product is setting the right expectations. And if there's a Huge mismatch between um, what the what the how the, ex, the external design of the building and the inside, like is the case with the Luxor, it uh, it starts to make a lot less sense. Um, yeah. One one of the things that they're planning to do, another uh, flashback to the 1990s, is to market to families and to more actively encourage kids. Right. So Las Vegas famously went through a phase where this was a very popular idea from theme parks to roller coasters to Merlin and dragons at the Excalibur um, that has largely been abandoned in that time period. Of course, you know, Circus Circus is still still caters and markets to kids. But a lot of the other places that 
were really trying to bring in families have really shifted their marketing focus and removed a lot of those attractions and rethemed those parts of the hotels. What? How do we feel about this? I mean, I know that generally speaking, I if if someone tells me asks me about what they should do with their kid in Las Vegas, I usually tell them to leave them at home. Uh, but of course, you know, a lot of families visit Las Vegas, so. Is this a brilliant move to uh, capture a market that is totally underserved at the at the moment, or is this going to be backpedaled on in five years? Well, um, as somebody with kids in Vegas, let me. I, I'm just going to say I think this is a good move, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the I think that the idea that people are going to leave their kids at home and they come to Vegas is is really unique to a certain subsection of the socioeconomic stratum of the United States. What are you saying, Dave? I'm saying that really it's a certain class of people who can afford to leave their kids at home and will would right. culturally leave their kids at home. Right. You know, when I was working at the Taj, which is many years ago now, you would see fa- you know families mostly immigrants or from outside the U.S. coming, and they'd bring literally the entire family and have them camping out in the hallway outside the casino. And you're wondering, well, why can't grandma stay home with the kids? And the answer is, well, that's just not how we do it. You know, we travel, we all travel together. So even if we've got the five-year-olds and there's nothing for them to do, that's what we do. So I think it's a good idea. And this is what Steve Wynn was on when he built Treasure Island, was like, yeah, this would be a great market to get to. But I think that when you look at the the Asian travel patterns, you know, clearly if you're asking people to come over here for a week or longer, they're probably not going to want to leave right. most of their loved ones at home. That's not going to go over very well. It's also more so, cultural, right? I mean, in many cases, yeah. they travel as families more yes. often than Americans do. Yeah. And when you look at this even furthermore, where their stop in Vegas is going to be part of a bigger package tour, right. where they're also going to be hitting Disneyland and the Grand Canyon, it makes a ton of sense. That's a very good point. Very good point. Chuck, what do you think about this revelation? Well, five mouths, you know, instead of dealing with, uh, you know, a guy buying a room and having 13 of his buddies sleeping in the room, you know, you're, you're dealing with a different group of people. When I was a kid, my parents took us on vacation, and when they wanted to go out at night, here's a, here's a bucket of fried chicken and don't open the door. <laughs> That's pretty much the rule. So, you know, I got to watch Johnny Carson and then stay up late, but I didn't mind it, you know. So whatever, fine, bring the kids, man. I think also it's a part of its design issue, right? I mean, you could design a place that is is set up to handle this better than uh, than others, right? I mean, if this is part of a well considered design, um, and the folks that you know want to have their sort of adult Disneyland experience can have it, and the people that want to have their Disney Disneyland experience can also have it uh, without too much conflict, you know, then then maybe it can work. Which is interesting, too, and this kind of plays into the experimental little staycation I did with the family last year, got a comp at the Cosmo and decided to take everybody, and pretty much it was like, yeah, by 7 o'clock, we're in the room and that door is shut, and none of us are going out again for the night, because there's not really a lot to do, and, you know, obviously we're not going to go parading around the Strip. So, yeah, it would be kind of cool if you had a place where, okay, maybe you should be off the Strip by 6.37, but there's stuff to do in here for the kids, which ironically, the the last place I stayed that had that was a GSR up in Reno because they've got the Fun Quest or Kids Quest or whatever thing is down in the basement there, which everybody loved. So it's you know you can do this in in a casino. It's just executing it right, like you said. Yeah. 
Um, Chuck, reading through uh, the comments on your last post on Vegas tripping, a lot of great comments on that post. Uh, one of the things that keeps coming up is the name. Uh, it seems like there are a lot of folks out there that are not super enthused with the name Resorts World as a resort name for Las Vegas. I've seen that on Twitter as well. Um, you know, I'm curious what you guys think about the name. I, you know, I think I don't love the name personally, but at the same time, there are people that were saying it would doom them. I definitely don't agree. There are a lot of extremely successful products with stupid names, um, like the iMac, I think is a pretty stupid name, but it's, it's, done, <laughs> it's done pretty well. So I don't, you know, it, the, the name in it might not be my personal favorite, but I, I would never say that it would doom them. What do you guys think about the name? Well, I think... Chuck and then Dave. All right. Well, uh, I uh, I think I've gotten over the name thing after going to the one in New York because I thought it was a stupid name and I thought the logo was stupid and all sorts of stuff. So I've dealt with it and processed it. And I think everybody else will too. You're just going to get used to the name. It's dumb, but there's there's worse things in the world. I, I don't think about Merv anymore, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what do you think about the name? Well, you know, I go back to the D where I thought that was a terrible name and I still don't love the name, but the product is so good. You know, how can I not like the place? So I think the name is really secondary. And again, if you're looking at it from the perspective of an upper middle class family in China, who's booking their vacation, who knows the resort resorts world name, right? It makes a lot of sense. Right. It makes a lot of sense, you know, much more so than to give it some obscure name that's going to appeal to people who know Vegas really well. You know, and even then, like what names could you use? Right. You know, you'd, you'd have to invent a new brand anyway. So I don't know, you know, would it be cool if they called it the Stardust? You know, maybe, but that's that's clearly not what the property is. So I think Resorts World is the best name. Oh, you know what? That just made me wonder. If the Stardust name and trademarks and stuff are part of the sale, or whether Boyd retained those, I'm curious. They had to keep them. There's no way they I would, would have given that up. I would think so too, but um, <clears throat> I, I agree. I think it, they probably must have kept them, but that's interesting. Uh, oh, Chuck, did you want to say something? Yeah, what are, what are the odds they're going to rename the Orleans Stardust? I don't know. I want to talk about Boyd in a minute, uh, but before that, I want to talk a little bit about just the competition aspect. I mean, something that I've complained about a lot and we've talked about on this show is how I, f- I really feel like the lack of competition on the Strip has been a major, major detractor over the past 10 years or so after the mega mergers consolidated so many of the operators so that you now have so few people that are bringing in new ideas and just competing against each other to do something great. And I am just thrilled to see another new outside operator come in and hopefully mix things up. And even if they don't do everything right, just a, a new way of looking at the market and new concepts and, and doing something different, I think, is has the potential to be just such a huge positive for the strip. Um, I don't know if you guys disagree, but uh, I think it's going to be great to have another operator uh, in the mix. Yep. I do agree. I'm actually working on a paper for the International Conference on Gambling and Risk-Taking, trying to qualify what the impacts of concentration in the Strip have been for a lot of things. So I think that it's, yeah, I really do think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how it's going to impact some of the other big operators, whether it's, you know, Wynn or Venetian, the the folks, and competing for high-end players since they 
you know, a lot of those players come from Southeast Asia and um, this is a brand that they know and how that's going to break down. And of course, what it's going to do to to SBE, right? So SBE announced their project, SLS project. And, well, you know, we, we talked about how how it was out in the middle of nowhere pretty much. And, you know, this new resort is still a ways down, but it puts a lot, it injects a lot more life into that end of the strip. And and at least marginally makes SLS look more plausible, at least to me. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, I think so. Uh, <laughs> Boyd Boyd Gaming, you know they sunk a ton of money into Echelon before they stopped this project, and they sold the land and the partially completed buildings for three hundred and fifty million dollars took a $900 million write-down um, because of it, right? This is a big loss for them. And while they may not have had much choice, I mean, I'm not suggesting that the alternative of, like, maybe completing the resort made more sense, but this this doesn't sound like... I mean, this, is, this has been spun, this story has been spun as a really positive thing for Las Vegas. I think the coverage has been very much about the excitement of a new place and all everything that goes with it, from jobs to uh, you know new ideas. But Boyd, Boyd is Boyd off crying in the corner here. I mean, is this this seems like it's got to hurt? That this this really changes the profile of the company in my mind, at least. Yeah. Um, Chuck, what do you think? I think you touched on this in one of your posts, actually. Yeah, you know it. Uh, it it's got to hurt. I'm sure it's hurted for them for a while, but Boyd's pretty tight lipped. They don't. They don't leak information. They don't really say anything. You know, they're they're sort of like an invisible ghost on the strip operators. But it's got to hurt, man. They 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 lost a lot of money and they lost their their strip presence. And you know, the Orleans doesn't necessarily count for me. That could that may as well be in Arizona. You know, so <laughs> the uh, the. Uh, it's everybody spends so much time trying to get that strip property pinnacle right and i'm thinking about pinnacle bidding up the tropicana sale uh penn nationals always looking at something everybody wants to have a property on the strip at least of the uh the uh, the boat operators and for them to kind of lose that and go back to not even having property even if it was just a dust bowl you know to me it it puts them Back into the under league, you know, the minor leagues of strip operators instead of the big monsters. Right. I agree. I mean, it's like, you know, that they were perhaps poised to really take their company to the next level and timing didn't work out with Echelon. But now it seems like they've maybe missed that opportunity for a generation. Like, I, it's hard to imagine how they could regroup and re enter the Las Vegas strip market anytime in the nearish term. Uh, and build anything. I mean, this is, I think, an admission that they're going to, f- I guess, focus on Borgata and their other operations and not and not uh, care about the strip or not work on the strip. Well, we sort of, you know, could have implied that, that Boyd wasn't going to do anything with Echelon when they made the offer on, Pinnac- on the Peninsula Gaming. That means they're putting their money somewhere else as opposed to building that property. They don't really have a huge income to begin with, you know, so that, that should have been the writing on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Let me suggest something here. And I'm just kind of seeing strategically what I would do. 
if I was running the company, and this goes back to what I said before about them making the Fremont and their downtown properties some kind of flagship. So imagine if you if you buy into the thesis that downtown is where exciting stuff in Vegas is happening, and downtown is a place that's going to appeal to a bargain player, a player looking for value. It might make sense to have your flagship property be in downtown Las Vegas, where you're going to have a lot of amenities in the casino and outside that are going to appeal to the riverboat players and the regional players. And yeah, they can take a cab down to Vegas and see one or two shows, but you're, if, if you really made an effort and boosted the portfolio of the Boyd properties downtown to something close to what you would see at the Strip, I think it could be a good move. I mean, that's, that's basically like the Landry's concept, right? I mean, and they've executed yeah. really well on that, right? It seems like they, I mean, clearly the Golden Nugget already had captured sort of the mind share of what's the best place downtown before they came along. But they've, you know, put a lot of money into it and kept it, kept it at the top of its market. And it seems like it's working really well for them. Yeah, yeah you know, so even imagining that if they were going to, and then this is just a crazy idea here. So let's say they decide to also acquire Binion's and do something there. And then really you would have this block of hotel rooms that when you add them all up is equivalent to a major strip resort, you know, and you could build stuff across the properties and really market it as a destination and have some kind of blanket name for it. Like, you know, downtown Las Vegas, you know, Boyd downtown or something like that as your flagship property. That's the way I would go. It would be something different. It would be something that I think would appeal to people because they like the idea. Resorts of downtown. world, yeah. Resort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boyd Resorts downtown or something. And yeah, and then you still have Orleans for some stuff. And, you know, obviously the arena at Orleans is a good thing to have. And yeah, resorts, resorts world downtown. I hear you got this, lots of cool stuff. Here, this the city center name is available. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying if you want to, you know, maybe the problem is that, that everybody's thinking too much in the same box of yeah. strip as the pinnacle. If I was Boyd, you already have such a huge push, footprint downtown. Say, screw this. Downtown is the pinnacle for our customers. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, right? I mean, if you if you can't win at a certain game, then your best chance, best bet is to change the game itself, right? And so that you can uh, do well within the constraints that uh, – that you have to deal with. Oh, yeah. I, like, I like that idea. And, you know, this would require, though, them doing, you know, like a Plaza D style, you know, Golden Nugget style renovation of the Fremont and whatever other properties they want to include in this. So I think it would, you know, it, it's not like, you know, in one sense it's getting off cheap because I think they could do the whole thing for probably, you know, under $500 million as opposed to $2 billion. But, you know, I, I think to execute it the way I'm thinking of, you would really have to put some resources into it. Yeah, right, right. You can't you can't get off cheap. You actually got to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting about the Resorts World thing is, of course, like throughout the whole city center development phase, there was this constant drum banging about how it was going to grow the Las Vegas market. And clearly, we haven't seen any evidence of that. What I think is interesting contrast here is that I feel like this place could actually, not just because it's new, but because of the people that they're targeting and their strength in other parts of the world, I think you actually could grow the Las Vegas market more plausibly with this sort of project than with City Center. Yeah, you know, I think so definitely. They've got a huge presence in other other markets, especially in Southeast Asia, which is the growth market for gaming right now. So you, I think it is, you know... As kind of a net, it's a, a net win for Vegas if they get this built. 
Yeah. Pretty exciting. Um, I'm, uh, can't wait to see how it, how it unfolds and, um, hear a lot more about the design stuff. Um, I don't know if there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on briefly before we finish up. I don't know if there's anything else pertaining to resorts world that you guys wanted to sneak in at this point. Otherwise I'll, uh, throw in some other topics. Other topics. All right. Um, I wanted, you mentioned the D, Dave, and there was yes. a quick policy that, uh, that I've heard of down there that I wanted to quickly talk about, which I think I, this was on um, 500 by Midnight, and I was not aware of it, but that I believe, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but that on the weekends, they have a rule where you have to be 21 to, or weekend evenings, you have to be 21 to enter the casino. And that doesn't mean like a kid with a parent. It means if you're not 21, you can't come in. Um, which is, I think, very interesting policy, right, to say explicitly that we are catering to adults during this time period. And if you come inside here, you know, you are guaranteed not to be if your kids bother, if kids bother you or whatever, you're guaranteed to have a sort of safe haven. Uh, so for the folks that really can't stand the, the kids that are visiting Las Vegas with their parents – this is a place where they would be guaranteed not to see them. And I guess they're, you know, checking IDs at the door and, um, and really enforcing this. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm just curious to get reaction from you guys and whether you think this is a good idea, uh, whether, or if this deeply offends you or, um, or whether, or if you think this policy will last, right? We've seen Bellagio open with a really strict no stroller policy, and that's been pretty, pretty relaxed over the years. Um, and so, you know, sometimes these policies don't, don't last for very long, even though they may make a bang out of the gate. So, I mean, Chuck, what do you think? What do you think they have the idea of 21 over only? I think it should be 27 and older, unless you're a woman. (laughs) Okay. Um, but I mean, in general, do you think this is a good idea? Would this make you more likely to visit? You know, I think it has the potential to, to, uh, to make people who are on the cusp of 21 say, oh, I can't go in there. I'm going to go in there, though, at some point and build some kind of expectation for people on the cusp or younger or people who are in the age of, of that kind of party being awesome. Right. You know, be like, oh, this is the hot place. It's instead of, you know, you, you if you're ugly, you can't come in. It's it's really about your birth date. But. You know, you you can't change your birth date or your ugliness, I guess. But uh, <laughs> there's there's options. Well, Go- let, let I mean, let's be honest. There's not a whole lot of stuff for kids to do with the D, right? I mean, other than maybe if you're going to have a meal with your parents. Um, there's not, it's not like there, you, you know, you can't go play Sigma Derby cause you're not 21. So <laughs> there's not a lot for you to do, but I mean, Dave, you have kids. Do you, what do you think about this? Would this, does this defend you? Do you care? It doesn't offend me at all. You know, I think like you said, there's not a ton to do for kids. So yeah, I, I could see if this was a property like the golden nugget where they've got the shark tank thing and they kind of cater to families. Like, yeah, that would be kind of weird. You know, hopefully if they're, Except, you know, I would guess that there would be an exception for hotel guests. They they could get to their rooms if they're booked there. Um, if not, they would have a lot of problems uh, with that. But, yeah, I think it's probably a good idea because, again, you're – the kind of stuff that's going on there isn't necessarily stuff that you want kids to be exposed to anyway with the dancing dealers and right. the booze and the gambling and all. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. I'll be really curious to see if this um, catches on at all or if this is something that – 
you know, that they are the sole uh, providers of, um, especially downtown. You know, I can't imagine a strip casino ever doing this, but, you know, downtown is sort of a different market, right? There's, for, in most of those places, there's not a lot for kids to do. Um, and so maybe it makes more sense. Well, I wonder what, what the what the reasoning is. Why did they give an explanation of why they were, wanted to do this? Are they having problems with minors? I think you know, like sneaking into the place and hanging out, or they just want to perhaps present more risque stuff in the in the public domain. And they don't want the bartenders to have to check IDs all the time. You know, what's, yeah. What's, what, what is it? Just a combination of all this stuff, or do they have specific problems? That caused them to say, "Hey, that's a good question." I and I don't clearly am, am not uh, able to speak for them. Um, my understanding was that it was uh, something designed to um, sort of separate certain guests out and make it sort of like a place that if you didn't like kids, you could go there. I guess. Um, and there are, you know, there are definitely. <laughs> Some people that feel strongly about that, and I think most people are sort of indifferent, um, but there are definitely some people that that do feel strongly about it, and potentially this is a way to uh, – a creative marketing concept, but um, we'll see if it sticks. The anti-genting. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Which is what makes – which is what made Vegas great in the first place was there was stuff for everybody to do. You know, it, the problem with – Las Vegas started when they tried to replicate the same formula that worked at one place everywhere. So luxury works at Wynn. Let's make everywhere luxury, you know, and before that it was families are working at Excalibur. Let's make everyone everywhere families. You know, you need to have market differentiation. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point. Um, but it, I think it's, it's notable and interesting and uh, something worth talking about. Um, Okay, so another story that I wanted to qu- at least quickly touch on or at least put down for the record. Um, last Friday, sort of in the Friday afternoon news dump that companies do when they don't want a story getting out uh, or don't want a story to get much attention, the Las Vegas Sands uh, in a regulatory filing indicated that it was possible that they had violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is a bill that covers a whole manner of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, th- they've been involved in litigation for quite some time with former employee, uh, over her operations in China. And, um, you know, there, he's made allegations that they bribed people to get certain things and make certain things work. And this has been ongoing for a long time. So it's interesting to see, uh, to see them make this admission. Of course, the story got even more interesting because the New York Times writes about it. And I think the headline was something like, Casino company admits likely cheats or something like that, and uh, this, and then Sands fires back, uh, rejecting the headline. So, in one hand, they're saying that they have likely violated this act, and on the other hand, they don't like the reporting surrounding it, which I think is fascinating. Just the way it was handled. I mean, you know, Las Vegas Sands is suing a, a Wall Street Journal reporter in Hong Kong for a story that she wrote. Uh, about the company and with a remark she made about the CEO, Sheldon Adelson. And he has a long history of lawsuits against journalists that have been um, you know, well-documented, including uh, our former co-host, Jeff Simpson. So you know, is this, this may just be par for the course for the company, but it sure is interesting to see how this breaks down. And you know, the FCPA has, become, has been in the news a lot more as we've heard this Las Vegas Sands story and potentially allegations from Okada about wind resorts. Um, so it's interesting to see the company 
put out this statement as part of their release and indicate that it's it's possible that they violated it. Now they did say it wasn't wouldn't have any material impact on their business, so it sounds like they don't seem to think it was something some massive cover up, but still is a pretty interesting story uh, that will continue to unfold. I don't know if you guys have any comment on that, but I think it was just interesting the way that the way that they went about it. Do we really expect casino companies to tell us the truth? No, and I honestly this may this may just be like me stereotyping, but I finding out that bribes were given from certain casino operators to certain Chinese officials to get things built would like it would shock me if that didn't happen. Yeah, uh, it's just the, you know knowing how how much corruption is part of the Chinese government in general, it would, it's just the way things work, right? So I I wouldn't be surprised. I have no information whatsoever. Please don't sue me. Um, but it is any company in general doing business there would not surprise me if palms got greased to make things happen, especially when you're talking about places that make as much money as casinos. I mean, you know, we're going to make you rich. You got to give us a little kickback. I mean, I would have no trouble believing that that's the way some of these things went down. But I have no evidence to the contrary. This is not an allegation. (laughs) (laughs) This is my wild imagination. Um, All right. Let's see. The only other thing – there's a couple other small stories. But the only other thing I wanted to talk about since we've been uh, talking about it in the past, which was the fact that this week we learned that MGM Resorts International has pulled out of their project in Vietnam – which is interesting because you know MGM has been changing their focus to include a lot of this international expansion, some casino resorts and some um, more traditional resorts. And this was a project that seemed to have been going for a while that now we learn is dead. So you know it sounds more like this was a problem between MGM and um, the other folks on the project, and that it just slipped. The schedule continued to slip and slip and slip, and they just decided that they had to pull the plug. But I'm one, you know. Hopefully for them, it doesn't foretell more trouble in this new expansion effort because it seems like they're pegging a lot of their future growth on managing and licensing and branding in, versus their more traditional, you know, constructing, developing resorts stuff that they've been done in the past. So I thought it was notable and worth mentioning for that reason. Curious if this has anything to do with uh, Gamal Aziz's departure from MGM to Win. You know, it's interesting, right? I mean, you know, he was the guy running the stuff for MGM, yeah. and uh, and now this happens. So who knows, right? It may be the way that the story was framed. It sounded like it just the project fell apart, but uh, yeah, you never know. Hmm. Oh, all right. I think that's going to do it for today. Um, so what I want to do now is our fantastically fantastic sure bet segment. This segment of our show is when we get to share something with you that we think you might be interested in. It doesn't necessarily have to be casino related, but it certainly can be. Um, so sure bets. Uh, Chuck, do you have anything for us today? Yeah, my sure bet is uh – I think it's uh, it's going to be the the community of folks who participate on our stuff, and that's people who follow us and comment on Twitter and uh, Facebook, on our websites and podcast things and whatnot. Uh, the power of the community is tremendous, and that was an ample display uh, the day, the week that. 
uh, it was uncovered that Caesars had about faced on their uh, no resort fee promise, their loudly trumpeted and very effectively campaigned promise to never charge resort fees. The tirade of comments directed at Caesars after that, uh, it made my heart go pitter-pat to see the people tell the company straight to its face, at least the best they could, uh, that they're a bunch of liars and they're not going to take it anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed to be a member of this community uh, with such fantastic people who stand up for their beliefs. So that's uh, my pick. Regarding the resort fees, um, you know, a part of it is it's, it's fun to make fun of them for being so hypocritical. But I'm curious – do you are you less likely to stay at a Caesar's property that since they did this? You know, I would not generally I'm not going to stay at a Caesar's property because they're disgusting, they're dirty. Generally, I have I have had basically bad experiences for the most part and I try and frame them when I write reviews saying, "Well, it was only 10 bucks a night for the room." But, you know, uh, other than Caesar's Palace, I probably would not be staying at, at too many of their properties anyways. And now adding the resort fee basically takes away that one chip that they had against uh, uh, against MGM. You know, If right. I'm paying the same level of rates for the Flamingo or uh, Mandalay Bay or something, you know, I'm going to take Mandalay Bay for sure. Do you think – I'm wondering – I'll be interested to see if there's going to be – real blowback from this or whether it's just since the, it is sort of industry standard that they can't, won't really suffer because what customer has no real choice. Yeah. It's interesting that their social media is shut up for two weeks. Yeah. I mean, you know, that is surprising, not surprising, but also sort of disappointing. Right. I mean, if you think sometimes you think that a certain company might be sort of social media enlightened and then, they do go into pretty traditional PR damage control mode, yeah. which is too bad, but not really unexpected, at least in my opinion. Um, Dr. Dave, where will you be charging resort fee? What, what will you be recommending for your resort fee dollars? Because I have absolutely no imagination and haven't really done – don't have any real interest right now <laughs> um, outside of work – only thing I can think of right now is Dropbox, which I've been using a lot for work. It's uh, only service, cloud storage, whatever you call it. But basically, I've been using the share folder feature a lot, allowing me to collaborate with colleagues from around the world on really exciting projects. Yeah, so Dropbox, Dropbox is great. So that, that's pretty much it. And that's yeah. just because I've been using it a lot today. So that's, yeah. all I, that's all I can think of. Nothing, no uh, clever pop culture things or, or anything. Dropbox is great. You know, you get you can sign up for free, and I think they give you two gigs, and then they'll if you want to um, pay a little bit of money, they will give you a lot more storage too. But yeah, Dropbox is a really great tool. Um, really easy to share stuff, and it works really well across different computers and stuff. So yeah, great, great recommendation. Uh, I don't really have a traditional sure bet. I wanted to today's my wife's birthday, and I wanted Yay. to tell her happy birthday um, oh. and say happy birthday to her. So my sure bet is having an awesome wife. Um, or husband or whatever. Um, so I just, you know, she's the best and uh, lets me get away with doing all this crazy uh, Vegasy stuff and is always in a good mood about it. So I want to say thank you to her and say happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yay. Happy birthday. Um, all right. That's our show for today. No resort fee required. 
I want to make sure to remind you all out there to rate the show on iTunes. It's a great way for other people to find out about the show, which is good for us. And um, I want to say thank you to everybody for being here. So I'll go around the table and you guys can tell people where they can find you. Um, Dr. Dave, we'll start with you. Where can people track you down? Uh, gaming.unlv.edu, dgschwartz.com, or rollthebonesbook.com. Still, still selling that book. Yes, don't forget to get Dave's book. Dave, it sounds like you've had a tough day, so we're going to make sure that you get to <laughs> relax and take the weekend off. Um, you almost forgot your name, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. <laughs> uh, Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at accessvegastripping.com. <laughs> Do you have that domain? <laughs> I should. You should. You, you got you to gotta go get that before I post the show or else someone else is yeah. going to grab it. Oops. Um, <laughs> all right. People can find me. If you want to check out my app, you can go to VegasMate.com or you can find me on Twitter at Hunter. Um, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. <laughs>